every day you go get in the car and you put the key in the car, you're rolling the dice. Is it going to start? <laughs> is today going to be the day where I'm going to have a wonderful day and enjoy my car? Or is today going to be the day I'm cursing my car because it's not working, because something broke? You don't know. It's, it's, it's just luck of the draw every day. That's the Corrado that adds, curse? Or it, the it, adds excitement. it adds excitement into life. <laughs>
a third to half of the laptops in the room are, are Macs, MacBook Pros usually. But sometimes, you know, the Airs or whatever. It's, there's mm -hmm. just a lot of them. I thought that was very common. So Yeah. Well, you got you got teased for that, which well, is fine. That, that's fine. Um, you know, you can you can get riffed on. I, I more than welcome anyone to riff on Jeff anytime that they uh that they feel the urge. Of course. Of course. But anyway, he continues and he said that he dislike Apple more than Apple users. He said, I Ooh, like to think that many of them just don't know any better. So, mm. you know, that's not that's not potentially aggressive at all. Ah, well, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yeah. Jugle. Apple, on the other hand, they do a bunch of corrupt crap that many tech companies like to do. And unfortunately, Mac and Apple tends to be the trendsetter for a lot of that crap. When yeah. they pull something off, everyone else is like, oh, cool, we can get away with it, too. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. And a typical colonel responded that, again, he doesn't hate the individual people. It's just the company's actions. Hmm. DJ responded, and he said, definitely, not to pile on Apple, but it's more of the philosophical question of users leveraging technology to serve their own ends, and whether the likes of Apple help or hurt that in the long run. He leans towards believing the latter. When locking everything down, locking out independent developers, locking in users, making the hardware disposable, non-repairable, the you know, luxury price tag that you pay for a shorter use life of your system, planned obsolescence, etc. He says, I don't think that this model is exclusive to Apple, but Apple just seems to have profited from it the most. Well, yeah, they are a trillion dollar company. Mm -hmm. And there is a growing cult of cult following of consumers who are too eager to spend money they don't have for junk they don't need that will be useless within three to six years. Three to six years is generous in many ways for, for some Apple products. Not all of them. There are some of them that definitely can survive uh but there's also quite a few that if you get three years you've had a good run six years is is a real good run i've had my my 2014 i guess i guess it's turned seven years now yeah. i don't think it's a really good run i think it's expected i put a case on it immediately though so it's protected physically and i carried it around to conferences and and presented on it a bunch and it, it took a beating and it's still ticking you know it's at this point the hardware. I think the CPU is old enough that they're probably not going to continue support. I don't know if it can even do Big Sur. Mm -hmm. I haven't looked into it yet. Um, but then I'm like two or three operating versions back. So, uh, but I, I don't know about that. The, the six years. I, I, I hear a lot of people like if you want to keep your MacBook or MacBook Pro going, they Apple they do a pretty good job of making it so the operating system at least supports those older versions. If you hop over to the yeah, except for the uh, fact I, that they intentionally do things to slow it down so you're more incentivized to buy the new thing. You know, aside from th that. That was, that was more the iPhone side, of my understanding. Are they, were they well, doing that yeah, on, but the, they're, on the... Yeah, they're unifying the OSs. Okay. From they what are, I heard, so... They are now, but we're talking about... Okay, so you can't really say the things that have, are happening now apply to I purchased hardware six years ago. No, but what I can say is Apple has a history of the first generation of a product basically getting crap as far as support once they fix all the issues, and then put out the second one. Well, okay, that's kind of standard logic for most very complicated consumer goods. Or, or vehicles, you know, don't buy the first generation of a vehicle. Um, I didn't follow my own advice on that, I did. Uh, I got the first generation of the new F-150 when they did to the aluminum, and it has uh, bugs, you know, but uh, mm -hmm. my old truck was crapping out, I didn't really have a choice. But uh, that's just general good advice, you know? These, these things are ridiculously complex devices. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. And to buy the first incarnation of a thing, you are asking for um, 
beta test experience at some point. I, I guess this is just something I've always had in the back of my head. And I don't think it's fair to put that on people that they're like, they rush out and they buy the thing first. They, I, they have to know, most people have to know that there's going to be problems. This is the very first mm -hmm. incarnation. So they have to know that. If they don't, then why are you buying the very first incarnation of something? Because it has an Apple Mac logo. Uh, okay, so, okay, so I would think there's quite a lot of people buying the very first thing of something because it says Apple and Apple made an announcement. Mm -hmm. and, oh yeah, one more thing. Okay. I, I don't want to say that they get what they deserve, but at the same time, I'm glad, this is, this is like what I was saying in a previous episode, I'm glad that they go and do that and they go and beta test that first generation hardware because then it gets all you know, pounded with hammers and ironed out and flattened out and most of the bugs worked out hopefully by the time that I'm ready to buy thing in generation mm -hmm. three. Usually. Okay, so this is where one of my gripes come in, and we'll we'll get back to the feedback in just a second, about like that, oh, the first thing came out of a new product of a new generation that Apple has, and it's got a shiny Mac logo, and or shiny Apple logo, and I've got to have it, is they're getting a first generation product, but yet, very rarely do I ever meet those people who will then admit the problems with the first generation product. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because yep. they have a necessity, they know it's fantastic, it's perfect. Even when it doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. It's got tons of issues. They cannot accept that there's a problem. They like, only yeah. see the good side. The first gen iPods were terrible. They they were because they were spinning hard drives and mm -hmm. they were not robust enough for people that were carrying around. They were dropping them all the time. And, and there was a like a repair policy. Like if you dropped your iPod, that was it. You just dropped four hundred dollars on a spinning hard drive, five gigabyte spinning hard drive, and that's it. It's toast. You dropped it. So don't drop it. They started making some exceptions, and then I think they started offering protection plans because people were mm -hmm. dropping them. They're portable devices. It's going to happen. But they needed some serious hardening, and I think they, I don't remember if they went and built like a custom hard drive that had additional hardening, or if they just went to the manufacturer they were working with and saying, hey, more tolerance now, do it, you know, yeah. or give us our, give us your best tolerance hardware for our product, and we'll pay a premium for them. I don't know what they did. But uh, the second generation of iPods were significantly better. Um, the 10 mm -hmm. gigs were, they were much more robust. And I know two people, at least, that had bought the 5 gig. They were super thrilled with what it was letting them do, but super unhappy with the lack of robustness. And then the 10 gig solved all their problems. But these are people that went out and bought the first version. And then seeing how cool it was, it was like, I have to get the second version. They must have had more money than since, I guess. Yeah. But uh that was like in 2001, wasn't it? The iPod uh, was 2001? I don't remember off the top of my head. Something like that. Yeah, anyway. I, I, I guess um, there just, there's always going to be problems with the first generation hardware, folks. That's just the way it is. But please mm -hmm. keep buying it, because I, I definitely want you to, to, to uh, first of all, to pay for the development of the second generation product and, and to work the bugs out for me. I really do appreciate that. So, Alta continued, and he said that you know, his argument is that we're all Apple users. We fanboy over car brands that drive and look amazing despite their constant trend towards removal of self-maintenance, self-repairability, and privacy. We love our Bluetooth headphones because they just work despite what appears to be a never-ending dirge of vulnerabilities with near zero market pressure to switch to something robust. I would just like to interject here that every single page of the Bluetooth spec should be illegal. <laughs> is that, that's another episode, I guess. And we love our shaving razors because they're well-advertised and look cool despite using a non-standard connectors being utterly inferior to adjustable safety razors in order of magnitude, more wasteful, expensive to upkeep blades. Non-Microsoft Apple Android users are just the ones who happen to be OS connoisseurs 
through day to day. We're all, and he puts in air quotes, Apple users. And he said, well, I responded, well, not all of us. For one of the reasons I like older VWs is that I can work on them. And I'll touch mm -hmm. more on that later. Mm -hmm. I hate Bluetooth headphones. I would rather have just a simple pair of earbuds with a headphone jack, but the industry says no. I'm not allowed to have that. It takes out too much space, I guess. Or, yeah, or I guess. Um, as for shaving, I have a wall for, for getting close and a straight razor for getting closer. I do take a disposable You have trips, a wall in your as, house? Like a wall? Yeah, W-A-H-L, a wall uh, oh. trimmer. Oh. Not W-A-L-L. -L. I have I those like, two. What, what, what kind of obvious dumb statement is that? You have a wall in your house? Do you live yeah. in a tent? So, never mind. That makes more sense. Yeah, but wall, I, I take the uh, brand. Yeah, I take disposable razors on trips because, you know, Taking a straight razor through airport security is probably not going to be a fun time. <laughs> I use it to yeah. shave my face. No, sir, yeah. that's not allowed. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that I'm not a fanboy in any regards, but I always try to make an effort to only have brand loyalty for brands that have earned it over decades of work. Hence my preference for German cars over America. Although American car manufacturers have definitely stepped up their game, in the 80s and 90s when I was young, it was pretty atrocious. Oh, so bad. So, so and bad. And this goes back to something I talked about in a prior episode about distro wars when i made the reference about people and the way they are with different tools if, if you look at my toolboxes you'll see tons of different tool brands because i care more for having a decent tool at a decent price than i care for everything in my box to be blue or orange colonel panic chimed in he said that his first bmw he got for 500 pounds i had that much to spend on a car and it was the only car around in my price bracket that had any life like that it was over 20 years old and it was fantastic i had a series of old bmws after that and i totaled zero breakdowns and enjoyed working on them after every other car I had to do, I had anything to do with mechanically, they were really well screwed together. And you know what? I could get parts <laughs> off the shelf at the BMW dealer around the corner. Never once did I walk in and find they didn't have a part in stock. And that's they weren't true. They're fanatical either. about that. They really are good. They, they've got good logistics. I think with anything I'm inclined to buy, repairability and longevity are the most important factors, if anything. The kind, or if anything, the kind of marketing you see with Apple product tends to put me off. I would never have bought a BMW on the strength of their marketing. Mm. Yep. yep. And then G DJ responded, indeed, including especially with cars, where safety and price are a big concern. That being said, I'm no BW BMW expert, never had one, but I've heard that most models post-2001 are made to be difficult to repair. Yeah, they and are. And they break down a lot more nonetheless, yeah. reminiscent of Apple products. A lot of enthusiasts reliably roll their older BMW models just fine, keeping them in good shape given the high degree of repairability. So to, to kind of wrap this all up, there are several key points of contention that i have with apple mac so on and so forth and the the fanaticism around them one is the walled garden that they've created mm -hmm. uh, i really really don't like that yeah, um, the second either. is the the cultivation of elitism that they have intentionally crafted now i get why they do it from a financial perspective unfortunately it also has a social per element that gets really annoying after a while which then leads into of course the fanboyism the non-repairability is an issue uh, the whole thing about you don't really own the software you're just rent licensing it that that's kind of annoying as well so okay the the cultivating elitism I, I i gotta challenge that a little bit are they deliberately setting out saying we are going to make it elite like is that i mean 1984 that commercial that's more or less what they were they were proposing that uh, we're going to tear down society and it's boring ibm you know, everybody marches to the same drum and is boring. Ho hum! We're gonna throw a sledgehammer at it. It was, you know, you know, a foundational experience for a lot of people. They've seen that commercial, and it, it, right in setting the trend that you can be elite if you own a Mac. 
or if you own, if you okay. own an Apple product. That's, that's also going way back when Mac was a different company. I understand. I understand. But it's, so, I'm, I'm tracing the lineage, though, of this cultivation. No, because back reason. then I would say Mac's whole thing was be different. I mean, that was their slogan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's not it now. Okay. Because if you look at something uh, like the latest Mac Pro, okay, and you look at that system, that system has one purpose other than to do basic computing. It's to be able to allow you to brag about how much you spent on your system. The oh, wheels, you the big, the big box. Yeah, the big box. Uh, you know, okay. a thousand dollar, a thousand dollar monitor stand. What was it like? Eight hundred dollar wheels for the system. Mm -hmm. uh, MK MKBHD is that his name? He's a YouTuber, one of the big tech YouTubers. Uh, I'm um, not familiar with him. He actually did a whole thing just on the Mac wheels, mm -hmm. and. He's like, you know, are these things worth whatever they are, $600, $800? So they are worth that? Absolutely not. But what it is, is it is Mac, or sorry, it is Apple distinguishing itself as an ultra-luxury brand because we can charge $800 for a wheel and people will pay for it. And that serves to give the brand an elite luxury view. So then everyone else, well, they want to be able to have luxury in their life. So if they're looking at two, two laptops... They associate luxury and higher quality and all these things with Apple. So then they're going to be more willing to spend more for an Apple product than what it's actually worth because they're buying into that that image. So, mm. yeah, I think they okay. are actually intentionally cultivating an elitism because that is then an attractive factor for plebs like us who want to raise our status up. Well, if I am walking around with a brand new Apple system, people are gonna be like, hey, look at that guy. He's got some money to spend. Or I have the brand new Apple Watch, which I don't, by the way, I don't, I've never had an Apple Watch, but just saying, if you are rocking the latest Apple product, it, just in society, people are gonna look at you and go, oh, well, that guy's doing well for himself. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't dispute that. But I, I do think, I have to go back to, you more or less claimed early on in this, this particular screed was that the Mac Pro has no use. And I contest that Mac Pro well, I, has I also responded use. with I also responded with besides general computing. Okay, no, there it was built. There's a lot of things that you can do with a Mac Pro that you can do something else and don't need to pay that price. There yeah. are some things that it's particularly well suited for um, doing very large post processing jobs. Um, mm -hmm. Something that's not big enough to need its own rendering farm, but you need some horsepower. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of people buy these, you know, massive dual 4k or i guess now it'd be 8k screens to do their final cut pro stuff on mm -hmm. and they need a haas pair of video cards to run it and that's mm -hmm. just what they need so if you have a movie budget of a hundred million dollars the one you're not 000, editing on max i can tell you a, that right now okay well you know more about it than i you, do but they're, I'm, I'm, they're working on render farms because they have the money and for them it's actually an investment to build out the render farm that they can then use over multiple movies the thing is is if you look at that mac you can build similar spec hardware for way less and get more power. Yes. Uh, Linus Tech Tips did this. They mm -hmm. uh, it took them a while to do it, but they built a modern Hackintosh to copy the Mac Pro, which ended up to be, I think it was like 20 to 40% more powerful for mm -hmm. way less money. Yep. So I've, I've done that exercise myself. I agree with yeah. you. It's, it, that's irrefutable. If Mac had the system and they sold it for a reasonable price, and I'm not saying they can't make money, but if they sold it for a reasonable price, I wouldn't take as much issue on it because, or, okay, let me, let me try to explain where I'm coming from. The fact that they charge so much more for demonstrably less 
while simultaneously claiming that it's better is like the point that I, I hone in on okay. as the issue. That's the cultivating because, of elitism that I, I can't, yeah. I, I just, I, I agree with that. Yes. Okay. From that point of view, I, I agree 100%. Um, I, I think, though, that the who they're trying to sell to matters. Uh, you know, so... Well, they're trying to sell to everybody. Are they? Are they trying yeah, to sell a Mac Pro to the common man? Ah, no. The common they're man not trying to sell it. a Mac Pro to a common man, but they are trying to sell Mac laptops to a co every common man. Okay, that's fair. And the, the luxury product is what attracts you to the brand, so that then you're interested in buying... Hmm. that over in your price bracket. I don't know about because that. Because if you're faced between an HP or a Dell and uh, an Apple MacBook and you've got all three of them and let's say you've got $2,000 to spend mm -hmm. and the Mac comes in at say $19.99. I don't know what they actually cost because I haven't looked but let's just say it's $19.99 and sure. the Dell and the HP are 17 If you're somebody who has seen the, the, the top of the line Mac stuff and you've looked at that and you know how much it costs and you see that all the famous people are all rocking iPhones and all rocking MacBooks and all have the Apple Watches. And you're a person that is attracted to being able to have some part of that luxury life yourself. And you look at, well, I could get the Apple laptop and it's only going to cost me a couple hundred dollars more. The cachet is worth that couple hundred dollars is what you're saying. Yeah, that's okay. a very attractive marketing thing. And I, that's I, why, I don't understand that at all, frankly. Uh, I, well, I you, you to... and I don't, because we're not the type of people that are going to go, ooh, I want that status symbol. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the iPhone, the brilliance of what Apple did was they made a smartphone something that was a status symbol. Because before that, smartphones were around. Mm -hmm. You could have a Symbian phone from Nokia, or you could have had a Palm Pilot, one of the trios. I had trios. I also had a Nokia communicator, but they were seen as, oh, well, you're just a geek. You're just a nerd. Why would I, I remember people telling me, why would you ever want to be able to check your email on your phone? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Two years later, oh, look at this iPhone. This is the greatest thing in the world. I can check my email on it. They're like, hold on a second. Two yeah, years ago, okay. I was the idiot for wanting to check my email, but now it's a status symbol because it's the new flashy product. Oh, wow. Okay. We've really touched a nerve here. Did this, did this actually no, happen just, to you? This is, yeah, actually that did. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the point is, Apple successfully turned a previously seen non-attractive product mm -hmm. into an attractive product that everybody wanted. So, analogy. Uh, Elon Musk and Tesla did the same thing for electric vehicles. He they had to. He had to. He had to build this, I don't know, I don't want to say cult of personality, though that's clearly playing into it somewhat. Um, cult of, of brand. He had mm -hmm. to build a cult of brand because the stranglehold that the traditional manufacturers had over the distribution channels in the United States was uh, incredible. And really, the only way he could break through was to build this brand. Mm -hmm. You could make the same case for Apple. I mean, Apple's market share on the PC front, if you lump all the you know, server hardware and all the, I know they don't make X servers anymore, I think. Uh, I lump, lump all the laptops and the desktops together. I don't know what percentage uh, Apple has of the market, but I wouldn't expect it to be more than like three or 4%, if that. I, I don't know. Um, no, but remember, they're a trillion dollar company. Yeah, well, that... They don't need huge market share. Now, okay, trillion dollar valuation, that we can, I, I could just invent, I, I could try and sell shares for a worthless company at $900 a share and saying, I'm only going to sell... 5% of the company and make up some bogus valuation. Okay. It's it, that the valuation, the market cap of, of a can you, company. Can you please do that and, and then give me some shares so I can make some money? No, that's not how I operate. You're not going to hook me up. No, I'm not. 
because oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to make the company. Uh, no, I'm not going to. But uh, I thought we were, I thought we were friends, Jeff. Uh, we are, but that's not that's a bridge too far. Anyway, returning back to where I was going with this before I was derailed by market cap and and stupidity. Uh, I'm just trying to come up with a polite word for it. But yeah, anyway, so I think there is um, an antagonism that is necessary for a product that's niche like an Apple product is to survive. You have to do this. You have to cultivate this or else they're going to be drowned under the uh, the weight of so many other laptops being shipped from Dell and HP. Mm-hmm. They, this is what they do to stand out. They have to. This is what uh, Tesla Again, had I to do to stand out. Right. And I, on the Tesla issue, I think it's what they had to do to actually be able to shift the market view and mm-hmm. the other industries towards electric cars. Mm-hmm. Because the manufacturers that were out there had no motivation to do anything. They've actually they had actively killed electric cars for like decades. But as far as Mac, I'm not saying that they can't cultivate a niche. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that they can't, you know, cultivate a, a special air around their brand. Obviously, they can. And they have what done I, so. Yeah. What I don't like is the two-faced deceit by which they've done it. Mm. Um, like I said, marketing demonstrably weaker hardware as better and charging you more than what actual better hardware would be that Hmm. starts to get into i don't know if i want to say uh manipulation but it it, for me that's definitely starting to get into very grimy business practices okay okay let's 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 talk about better then so better for you and i is pretty straightforward we evaluate uh the potential power of the CPU, the, the, mm-hmm. the amount of RAM, the speed of the RAM, a couple other, you know, features of the RAM, this, that, and the other. We can, we can go and size up, you know, X, Y, R, Q, P parts and really compare. And you and I can make an evaluation. Most of our listeners, I would expect, would be able to do the same thing. But right. for the average person, you give them numbers and one number is higher than the other number. That means it's better. They're going to struggle to evaluate the pros and cons of... um. The motherboard that's in the Mac Pro versus one that you could buy yourself and put in and mm-hmm. make your own Hackintosh. They're going to struggle with that. So you could easily make the case, maybe not easily, you could make the case that better in the sense that part, part of the way that Apple uses the word better is saying, we have selected this hardware and we fully support this hardware. You don't have to worry so much as if you go and buy some off-the-shelf consumer commodity product and put it together yourself. You're responsible for all that support. Hey, this is better because we support it. We've already qualified ahead of time. We know exactly all the configurations that are possible. Mm -hmm. We know exactly what's going to happen. We Mm -hmm. have pre-done the work. Yeah, and so is Lenovo, so is HP, so is Dell for all their pre-configured systems. They've all been qualified. They've all been tested. If you have an issue, you pick up the phone, you get support, and depending on what warranty you have, you you send it back to them or they send out somebody or whatever. That's nothing special. What's different here is I think you just made my point. If they're marketing it as better based on the image of it, not on it actually being technically better. Because, after all, if people can't compare those technical details and compare the two CPUs and compare the workload and which GPU is going to be better in this use case, those people are making the decision based solely on brand perception. And the brand perception is that it's better, even when it's not. Well, okay, Apple does a very good job of highlighting the uh, statistics that show it is better. Even though there's no context for it, they're, they're famously good or bad, take your pick, at, okay, so we have the next version of the MacBook Pro, and it is 40% faster on X or Y. Well, 
I would imagine 99% of the users of the MacBook Pro are not using X. I mean, just picking a random well, thing. Up. At least in, in the marketing that I've seen that I can recall, and if this is wrong, please, someone correct me. Mac usually only actually compares to their products. Generally. They don't they're compare to, to another compare against other products. Yeah, right. They, they infer even that everything else is, you know, they infer that it's, it's better than other products, but they're not actually giving you actual metrics of, of them versus something else. Mm -hmm. You know, it'll be 30% faster, faster than the previous generation Mac. Okay, mm -hmm. great. That still doesn't address the issue. That's just sleazy marketing at that point. And I get why they're doing it. They want to make the money, but. Again, this is and Maybe when so it's just done it. when Maybe. it's just done once or twice, I can go, okay, it, eh, it happened. Right. But when you see decades of the same behavior, the same marketing repeated over and over and over, to me, that starts being this is intentionally the way they're doing it because they've done it this way for so long. This isn't a somebody screwed up on this marketing campaign. It's now this is the way they intentionally design all of their marketing campaigns. I think also most marketing campaigns, there's very, very few screw ups. Uh, almost everything you see in a marketing campaign, I wager, and I've never worked in marketing, but I've, I've friends that do. Everything is very carefully chosen. Like they have panels of people that are like giving their opinion on this is better than that. The background is better when it's green or that mm -hmm. shade of green versus this shade of green or, or blue. They're, they're, you know, testing all these little pieces. It's like, you know, the, the image of a politician. It's very, very carefully crafted. So any marketing campaign, when I see it, I'm like, they chose to do it that way. You know, the mm -hmm. iPod had these, you know, for five or six years, there's, you know, very famous dancing iPod user commercials. And they were very deliberately cultivating this hip, cool, young, urban mm -hmm. image where I'm dancing and I've got, you know, my silhouetted dreadlocks flying around and I'm doing all these cool dance moves and I've got my iPod and I'm just like jinking along with my iPod and I'm so cool because I got my iPod and look at me, you know, that yeah. was, there's, there's no doubting what they're trying to do there. You know, mm -hmm. uh, every single one of those things, none of them were an accident. Every shape, every silhouette, every person that was chosen, it was all very deliberate. So yeah. I, I really, as much as I want to disagree, I can't. And really, I do agree secretly. I'm trying to, trying to take the opposing view because I'm trying to explore the middle here. Right. I, 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 I think, um, I'm so used to it and I'm so mm -hmm. cynical about it now. I just, it's, this is business as usual. And I can't really think about what an honest advertising would be like. I yeah. just, I don't know what it's like anymore, but it's, it happens and, so infrequently. Yeah. And one unfortunate thing about advertising of this sort is that it is a fertile breeding ground for fanboyism. Oh gosh. Yes, it is. Now the, the fanboyism is, uh, it, we've it's, already addressed it to a degree. Well, we addressed it in the distro episode, but this is kind of different okay, in many yeah. ways because we're talking about commercial products. So okay, let me actually yeah. bring up a commercial product that I love. I, as I mentioned before, I like Volkswagens. I like Mercedes. I like German cars. I, you could argue, it would be incorrect, but you could argue that I'm a fanboy for the Volkswagen Corolla. I'm not. And here's why. Because one of the key things about fanboyism is that people only see the good. They're never able to really see and admit the bad. Mm. Okay. Whereas, like with the Corrado, I I love that car to death. <laughs> I also hate that car to death. Yeah, oh, yes, yes. We've I mean, talked about some of those things. You know, 
the Corrado in Volkswagen circles and specifically in the Corrado community is affectionately known as the greatest collection of bad ideas that Volkswagen ever had. <laughs> they did some absolutely remarkable things with that car. Like, for instance, they designed the car. They were doing testing with it and they realized at high speeds, like on the Autobahn, they don't have enough down pressure in the rear. They need more down pressure. So the answer was, oh, well, just to slap a spoiler on it. Well, German designers were not going to have that. Excuse me. We specifically crafted the lines of this car to fit <laughs> and to be perfect. You just can't slap a spoiler on the back. That's an atrocity. That's, so that's they an American redesigned, way of doing things. They redesigned the entire rear hatch and took a page from an old Porsche and integrated a motorized spoiler mm -hmm. that recesses into the bodywork so the lines could be the same when it was stationary, but then at a certain speed would, by motor, extend out four to five inches to give mm -hmm. downforce in the rear. The most over-engineered solution that they could think of, they decided <laughs> to go with. And the, the, the thing I love about VW is like when they did that, not only did like was this this crazy engineering thing, but they realized people are going to think this is cool. So they actually installed a switch underneath the dashboard that you could reach down and flip back and forth to raise and lower it automatically whenever you wanted, yep, yep. even when you didn't need it, mm -hmm. just so you could show it off. Mm -hmm. Porsche but of course, thing. it was an extraordinarily complex design. So, shocker, they break all the time. They break all the time. And it was the only Volkswagen that was ever produced with this spoiler. So you have to get the parts from that car. Mm -hmm. And you have to get the parts from a car that doesn't have a broken spoiler. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the wiring in it is just atrocious. Uh, I don't know who designed it. They were a horrible person because it is needlessly complex and just insane how they did things. Mm, like in some cases, instead of running a larger gauge wire so they could put more current through it or more, you know, they just added more wires. Whoa, whoa. whoa and what? it's like, no, 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 no. But that does cut down on cost. One it, fewer yeah. unit. If you yeah. have oh, nowhere else oh, in no, 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 nowhere no, no, else no, no, in no, this no, car. No, 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 no. You cannot say that they were smart by cutting down costs by trying to streamline what parts they used because that didn't happen. Because if that was the case, they would have stuck with like 10 millimeter and 13 millimeter bolts for everything <laughs> within that space. But no, there's 10 millimeter, there's 11 millimeter, there's 12 millimeter, there's 13, 14. There is every millimeter of bolt on that is car. The right I'm bolts convinced. for the right use. And speaking of bolts, when you're trying to take something off, there is always N plus one bolts to take off. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. You're like, oh, this part has four bolts. No, it doesn't. It has five. And if you think it has five, you're wrong. There's a sixth one hidden somewhere. And when you take out that sixth one, you're like, okay, I got them all. Nope, there's a seventh. It's like a like, boxer engine. Have you ever seen one of those? Like they have. Yeah. Yeah, you get to take the sides off and then they've got bolts that are hidden inside where the cooling, mm -hmm. the oil goes. Like, who does that? Of course, yeah. the design kind of necessitates it, but like, gosh. And like, Again, some of the design things were brilliant, like the the rear axle, the way it, it's a trailing axle and the way it actually attaches to the car, they intentionally attached it with flexible mounts so mm. that when you're going into a turn and there's a ton of body roll, what actually happens is the rear axle will actually shift in the opposite angle by a few degrees, which actually gives you passive rear steering. So that as you go into a turn, if you turn in harder, instead of understeering like most front wheel drive cars will do, when the back axle shifts a few degrees, it actually causes oversteer and the back end will actually come around. Hmm. Now, this is definitely an oh crap moment when you're driving and you don't <laughs> expect it because you're just driving into a turn and all of a sudden you feel that the back end of the car is spinning around and you don't know why. So like that can be a shocker. But with that, the car handles amazingly well. Unfortunately, 
every day you go get in the car and you put the key in the car, you're rolling the dice. Is it going to start? <laughs> is today going to be the day where I'm going to have a wonderful day and enjoy my car? Or is today going to be the day I'm cursing my car because it's not working, because something broke? You don't know. It's, it's, it's just luck of the draw every day. That's the Corrado that adds, curse? It, the it, adds excitement. it adds excitement into life. <laughs> and, and I mean, in many ways, it's just like, you know, having a significant other. I don't you want... Know, if, you if you have a girlfriend, you mm. need to spend time, and you need to spend money, and you need to spend effort. And if you don't do all of three of those things, your life is going to be hell at some point. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with the car. If you don't spend money on it, you don't spend time working on it, and you don't spend effort making sure everything is fine, it's going to break down on you, and you're going to have a horrible day. It's just You haven't washed me in three weeks. Wheeze. No! Right. Please start! So, like, I love that car, but I'm fully open and able to admit all the things that are horrible about that car and I don't like about that car. Mm -hmm. This is not something that typical quote-unquote fanboys will do because mm -hmm. all they see is the good and the perspective. And more interesting than that, and I think this is more related to the Apple issue, is they become extremely hostile to everyone who doesn't agree with them. And it's not just mm. you don't think this product is good. Or, sorry, it's not that you think the product is bad. It's just you don't think this product is as good as I think it is. So the lack of having an opinion is a negative. Hmm. And a friend of mine, a, a, a friend of mine is like this with music. And it is, it is, it is infuriating. So he has an obsession with K-pop and J-pop. Um, now, as a musical genre, not my thing. Mm -hmm. But... I understand that people like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like he is the biggest fan. Like he knows every single group name. He knows how old they are. He knows where they grew up. He knows like interband relationships. Like, oh, the, her and her, they actually have a, a beef with each other. But but her and her, they're really good friends. And it's like, dude, you know way too much about this. Like, you should not know intergroup personal dynamics of a Korean girl group. I'm sorry. That's just you just shouldn't. There are worse like, things to spend your time on. I guess. Uh, but he installed a TV in his garage specifically so he could have the music videos playing <laughs> while he works on his car. <laughs> and he drives a German car. He doesn't even have a, a Japanese or Korean car. So, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, he should have German beer maidens dancing around on the TV, not skinny Asian girls. People so like anyway, what they like, dude. That's the yeah, thing about it. So, one day I was over there and I was like, dude, can we just like turn this off, please? Like, just I can't. The TV is distracting. If you want to have like just the music playing, fine. But like the TV changing and flashing, I, I'm always trying to look at it because what's going on? Mm -hmm. The lighting in the, in the garage just changed. And at one point he was like, dude, no, you know, I'm going to leave it on. And I'm like, all right, whatever, dude. Well, there's there's one group that he always has to stop and watch the video because they're dancing in a garage, a car garage. <clears throat> and I, well, first off, first off, <laughs> so many ways that can be taken. Wow. So unrealistic because the, I, I like I start watching the video analytically now because this is this is entertaining. That's exactly how it was made to be treated, you know, exactly. analytically. Absolutely. So like I'm looking at this garage where the girls are dancing around in and yeah, there's like six or seven really nice cars in there and they're done in like the Japanese racing circuit theme and all that stuff. But there's only two toolboxes. Yeah, no. they're pristine. There's no hand tools anywhere. There's no lift. 
There's no air equipment or airlines. There's no There's oil no, on the ground. There's no There's rags. no other heavy equipment. Right. Oh, no. The floor is like pristine mirror finish. No. 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 no All no. the cars are like $100,000 or more worth of work done on top of what the car costs. You know, mm. uh, there was a Honda H2000s, Supra. There was even a Beamer in there. And, you know, the girls are dancing around the cars. And I'm like, okay, first off, dude, uh, not a single one of these girls knows anything about this garage and tools and working on a car. All they know is that these cars are very expensive and whatever guy owns these cars has a big thick wallet. For one, you're going you don't have a, you don't have uh, come on Jeff. <laughs> you don't have a big thick wallet. You don't have a pristine garage because if you did I would spend more time here instead of your crappy garage that's all dirty. Th what is the deal here? What is your obsession with this K-pop group? And then because the group that was playing was not a K-pop group it was a J-pop crew. Oh, no. And I didn't know the difference. Oh, no. And he got pissed off at me because I didn't know the difference between the K-pop group and the J-pop group. And he's like, oh, oh, you just think they're all, they all look the same because they're Asian. And I'm like, no, it's just there's a ton of beautiful women dancing, singing songs in a language I don't understand. I can't relate. The only thing I can say here is, oh, this is the group that has seven girls in it. The other group had five. That's how I know they're different. But he was so invested in it that the fact that I wasn't as invested as him and didn't know as much as him was offensive. And like when things reach that level of fanboyism, mm -hmm. I personally go, hold up. This is excessive. I would have to agree. That and I see the same got thing. Too much of yourself with, wrapped up in this thing. I see the same thing with tons of Apple users. Now, to be clear, there are millions and millions and millions of people that have Apple products that do not fit into that box. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with them. You fit into that box. I don't have a problem with you. Well, I, I don't fit in really any box. I'm just but a big guy. I have friends who literally have told me, Apple put out a new product this morning, I bought it. And I questioned, well, mm. why? Because mm. they put out a new product. Did, did you need it? No, but it's the new version. And it's like, okay, can you please just step away? Like, <laughs> that is insane. You bought a product you didn't need. You don't even know if it's going to be any good for what you would want to use it for, but it's the new thing that you've just got to have. Mm -hmm. That type of fanboyism is is a problem in my in my opinion. And I see Apple obviously loving that fact oh, of course, because yeah. that's, the that's, dollars are flowing in. That, that's part but, of their their product planning is that they know they're going to have some percentage of people that will just buy it just because of the Apple logo. Yeah, and I I they, think they can they count lean, on something succeeding. When perhaps in another company it wouldn't, purely because yeah, they I, have this push. Yeah, and I think they lean into that so much because they know it's an easy way to make money. I would say I modern Apple leans into it more than Jobs did. Yeah. I, I mean, think. I'm sure I'm sure Cook could take a crap in a box and slap an Apple logo on it, and there would be somebody who would be like, I will buy that because that is an exclusive Apple product, and I will be the only one to have it, and no one else will be able to have it. And <laughs> I'm I'm certain. How it hasn't happened already, I don't know. I, I know several people. Cook could probably buy a new house off the money he could make off of it. <laughs> I understand. I think, uh, and I, I'm not trying to paint a rosier picture of the past. I honestly think Jobs and his fanatical obsession, obsession with detail and perfection, that was his pursuit. He was not going to put, put out a product that was not perfect. And... The fact that there was this elitism and the fanboyism that go along with it. He, he, he cultivated that for sure. It was for business reasons, but it wasn't what he was mm -hmm. seeking. It feels like modern Apple needs it to continue to survive. 
they don't have all of what Jobs had. And they're, mm. they're missing something. Some, je ne sais quoi. They're, they're, there's something that's gone. Jobs passing, tragic. They, they'll never get it back. And so they don't they have, have the innovation, they in my they, opinion. And then, you know, there was a brain drain too after Jobs passed. You know, mm -hmm. some of their key designers all fled. You know, they, they've made plenty of money. They've got plenty of stock options. They don't need to make any more. They've worked, uh, you know, under the Jobs regime for years, decades, whatever. Which meant working for jobs meant, you know, you had no life outside of what you were working on for jobs. Right. And they wanted a life again. I don't, don't fault anybody for saying, okay, I'm done with this. I need some time. I've made my pile. I'm ready to go. Hang up your spurs. That's great. You've earned it. Even if you hadn't earned it, like, whatever, whatever you want to do. But the mm -hmm. net result is the products that Apple is turning out now are derivative, not... Yeah. They're I mean, not revolutionary. Yeah. The, what revolutionary things have they come out with since jobs passed? I'm, you know, the, the, the iPen, it's not really very revolutionary. Um, right. They created the Mighty Mouse, which is kind of a neat idea, but it was an, an extension of something that was already tried in the past. You know, just basically take their trackpad and stick it on the top of a mouse, you know? So a lot, a lot of the innovations that I can think of were just evolutions, not real mm -hmm. true innovations. I remember watching the one more thing that went an hour and a half when Jobs was introducing the iPhone, the very first iPhone. And I was gobsmacked by how well-designed it was, how intuitive it was. I remember thinking, without explaining anything, I could hand this to my non-technical relative, and she would be able to understand how to use this thing intuitively. And, yeah. I, was, and I was floored by that. There was, you could not say that about Palm devices. They were certainly not intuitive to a degree, mm -hmm. but th there was a steep learning curve. Android, early Android had a pretty steep learning curve. I jumped on the Android bandwagon very early. And I remember the, the yeah the I had the I had G1. the original yeah that was I had one tough. of those that was tough yeah. to use because also had that slide out keyboard but that's that's another discussion well, I, I liked that I prefer a physical keyboard on a phone well okay we're just going to disagree and you're just going to be wrong but uh, anyway why I have a BlackBerry Prive with uh mm -hmm. yep yeah yep. anyway slide out keyboard that that they were so many revolutionary ideas packed into that thing and you could easily make the case no it wasn't revolutionary it was evolutionary this 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 and this. But the, the revolution, in my opinion, was the interface, the intuition, like the, mm -hmm. the, this native understanding. And that kind of revolution I haven't seen from Apple products in a while. And I just... In my honest opinion, I think that's why they're doubling down on the walled garden. I think you're right. Because it gives them a captive audience mm -hmm. to... Well, once you're in, the, the effort to then get out becomes more than you're willing to, to pay. Yeah. And not necessarily in finances, but in time, in effort, effort, in effort having to sure. relearn something, mm -hmm. in exporting your information, your files, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there's a lot to the walled garden aspect of this that I, I think mm -hmm. I would love to explore, but I, I think we're running long on time. And so I think we should shuttle that off into another episode. But definitely, there's a lot there to unpack. And it's not just, there's some positive aspects to it that I want to explore too. The security implications of it. There, there's improved security posture. There's lots of things to explore in there, but I think we'll need to shuttle that off. Um, yeah. But this has been really uh, an excellent discussion. Started from offhand comments in our you know previous episode. I love I love our listeners. They're they're perceptive and they're willing to share their their experiences with us. So thank you for sharing all that. And gosh, there's so many episodes we can make just from exploring the nuances of some of these things that are said like i pulled out three or four things and i wrote them down like oh we should talk about that on this episode we didn't get to any of them you know yeah 
So yeah, we're definitely gonna have to have a follow up. Mm-hmm. We have some highly intelligent listeners. So thank you guys and gals. Uh, keep it up and uh, keep telling us, keep telling JT where he's wrong and how I'm right. And, uh, you know, keep giving us your feedback. So as always, how to contact me or Jeff is in the show notes. Uh, you can hit us up on Telegram, the Matrix channel, uh, as well as my email, which will be in the show notes. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And like always, we will respond to them and give you our feedback on your feedback. So thanks for listening and be excellent to each other. Indeed. Indeed.